Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. On this episode, we're talking about the movement to defund and dismantle police departments in the United States and how you can support in helping to end systemic racism, white supremacy, and police violence against black people. Let's go. is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. I just want to start off with a salute to everybody around the world that is coming out, taking to the streets, raising your voices, and demanding that black lives matter all across the globe on six continents. It has been unbelievable to see you all inspire me. I especially want to salute the activists in Minneapolis for their huge victory this weekend when the Minneapolis City Council voted with a veto-proof majority to commit to defunding and dismantling the entire Minneapolis Police Department. This is historically unprecedented for a city of this size in the United States to disband a police force. And Minneapolis is now in a position to empower the local black communities to lead the design, creation, and oversight of a brand new community-based model of public safety that is based on care, respect, and human dignity. This has the potential to begin the transition away from a model of violent state repression, punishment, and mass incarceration, and towards a new transformative public safety strategy rooted in education, mental health services, community-based mediation, violence interruption, and restorative justice. And calls for defunding police departments across the country are now sweeping the United States. For example, I am recording this in Asheville, North Carolina, a small city in western North Carolina, the Smoky Mountains. And here, over the past couple weeks, the 
police have been particularly brutal and violent, as they have been all around the country. It's been on display for the world to see. In Asheville, for example, they've been attacking nonviolent demonstrators, shooting rubber bullets, using tear gas, flashbang grenades. They made national news in Asheville with a particularly malicious operation when the police stormed a medical tent that was set up to provide medical aid to injured protesters. They raided the tent, terrorized the medics, and destroyed all of the medical supplies, including using their knives to cut open the bottles of water and destroy everything, including the water. Within a few days, a petition to defund the entire Asheville Police Department had over 11,000 signatures. So to understand this movement that is sweeping the country right now, to understand what the demands are and why, it is very important to put this in a historical and institutional context. For the entire duration of American history, the police have used violence and coercion to control and repress and terrorize the black community. And there has been no abatement, no pause, no break in that for the entirety of American history. The origins of the police can be traced back in the southern United States to the slave patrols. And then once slavery was abolished with the 13th Amendment, what came up next was called the convict lease system. So the 13th Amendment said that slavery and involuntary servitude were not allowed except as punishment for a crime. And so that loophole was taken advantage of. And they said, well, OK, then we're just going to create a whole bunch of these laws. They were called the Black Codes, whereby police can rest all of these black people for ridiculously vague crimes such as loitering and vagrancy and things of that nature. And so the police just went out and used this legal pretext to arrest all of these black folks. And once they were convicted of these crimes under the black codes, then they could be brought back to the plantations and work for free for the white plantation owners. Yet again, this time, instead of as a quote unquote slave, they were a quote unquote criminal. Okay, doing basically the same thing. And then once the convict lease system was outlawed, then it moved on to the Jim Crow laws and the legal segregation and the official second class citizenship status of black people, which was enforced violently by the police. And then when that system was challenged by the civil rights movement, by the black power movement, by other movements, the police were violently repressing the resistance to those systems. And then eventually, once the Civil Rights Act was passed, we move into the abolition of Jim Crow. And the next 
phase as we move into the 1970s. So we're now moving into the period of the last 40 to 50 years. And this is the era of dramatic police expansion, police militarization, and an exponential increase in incarceration, all of which was disproportionately targeting the black community. This is the era of the prison industrial complex where there is a privatization of prisons. So corporations can actually own prisons and other corporations can get prison labor to manufacture their products. And so this actually creates a financial incentive to put as many people in prison as possible, keep them there as long as possible, and a financial disincentive to rehabilitate people and reintegrate them back into society. So these moves towards police militarization and policies of mass incarceration can be traced back to the 70s, to the Nixon era, when they started declaring a war on drugs, a war on crime domestically, right? And using that militarized language, training police to view the domestic population and particularly the black community as ostensibly the enemy in a military context. So what happened was an increasing criminalization of social problems like addiction and homelessness and a slashing of the social services that would normally be attending to those problems and a transferring of that responsibility to the police because these social problems were now criminalized. And these trends just continue to accelerate and accelerate and accelerate for decades. They were pushed forward significantly by the Reagan administration in the 80s. They were pushed forward significantly by Bill Clinton's administration with the crime bill of 1994, which was supported by Hillary Clinton, which was also supported and partially written by Joe Biden. And so when we look back to the 1970s, there were about 300,000 people in prison in the United States. Today in the United States, there are two 0.3 million people in prison. The United States has about 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prison population. Hundreds of thousands of people have gone to jail for possession of marijuana. We've got over a million people in prison for nonviolent offenses. The United States has the highest rate of incarceration in the world. And all of these policies disproportionately target the black community. Okay. African Americans make up 12% of the U.S. population, but they are over one third of the U.S. prison population. And when someone gets convicted of a felony and goes to prison, First of all, that breaks up a family. Second of all, it severely impairs their 
future job prospects when they come out because they have to answer that question on the job application. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Also, the prison experience thoroughly dehumanizes them and subjects them to violence and severe psychological trauma. And being convicted of a felony disenfranchises you from the political process. In some U.S. states, 30% of the black male population has permanently lost the right to vote due to a criminal conviction. So all of these mass incarceration policies are disproportionately targeting and destroying black communities and diminishing their political abilities to change things. The other thing that's been happening over the last few decades is the increasing militarization of the police. The U.S. military has literally funneled billions of dollars of military hardware into the police departments. And Amnesty International reports that thousands of U.S. police have been trained by the Israeli military which has an egregious record of human rights abuses and torture. Amnesty reports that hundreds of law enforcement officials from Florida, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, California, Arizona, Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Georgia, Washington State, and Washington, D.C. have all traveled to Israel for training and that thousands of other police officers have received training from Israeli officers here in the United States, including a 2012 training in Minneapolis. And by the way, one of the techniques that has been known to be used by the Israeli military is the knee-on-neck restraint. And in Minnesota, the Minneapolis police use force against Black people at 7 times the rate of white people. We currently live in a society where we have stripped out the much-needed social services and inserted the police. For example, in our schools, 1.7 million students are in schools with cops there, but no counselors. 3 million students are in schools with cops there, but no nurses. Six million students are in schools with cops there, but no school psychologists. And 10 million students are in schools with cops there, but no social workers. And so by slashing social services, criminalizing social problems, and putting police in place as the solution, we create a school-to-prison pipeline. And what people are saying is that we've had enough of this. This has been exacerbated by both Republican and Democratic administrations. We've heard a lot of talk about police reform, but let's take a look at how police reform actually worked out in the case of the Minneapolis Police Department. So five years ago, the Minneapolis Police Department was under a lot of pressure to reform because they've been abusing and killing black people for a really long time. So five years ago, They used the Obama administration, Justice Department's recommendations for a series of reforms. 
The Minneapolis Police Department implemented trainings on implicit bias and de-escalation. They diversified the department's leadership. They trained people on crisis intervention. They created tighter use of force standards. They initiated a series of police community dialogues. They adopted body cameras for the cops and enhanced early warning systems to identify problem officers. They spent $4.75 million on a three-year project to use data collection, social psychology, and police community dialogues to repair and strengthen the frayed relationship between cops and community. They undertook a series of training programs designed to professionalize policing, trained the officers on how to respond to mental health crisis calls, how to de-escalate confrontations with the public, how to be more self-aware about implicit racial bias, and none of it worked. And so the movement that you're seeing to defund and dismantle the police departments is a tidal wave of clarity for a lot of people that this institution is not reformable. The police cannot reform themselves. The federal government cannot reform the police. And therefore, the people are taking matters into their own hands at the local city council level and saying that we are going to create a community that is safe for Black people to live in and a community that allocates our resources and our finances in a way that is consistent with our values. Values that are based on love, respect, and human dignity And so the concept of defunding a police department means taking the allocated budget for the police department and reallocating it back into the social services and other priorities of the community. And there's a lot of cities that are moving to do that to varying degrees, right? Divesting money from the police and investing it in communities of color and local priorities. In the case of Minneapolis, they've really taken a leadership role here nationally in committing to dismantle their entire police department and build an alternative model of public safety. And they are going to meet with a lot of resistance. There is going to be a lot of powerful forces trying to obstruct their ability to do that. And so they're really going to need a lot of support. So in terms of what you can do, I want to, first of all, encourage you to make financial contributions if you are able to. In the last episode, I gave you a number of organizations that you could contribute to. In this episode, if you're specifically interested in supporting the defunding and dismantling of the Minneapolis Police Department, which the council has already committed to, but it is going to be an extended process of creating an alternative system of public safety and really uncharted territory for the United States. So it's an exciting opportunity 
And one of the organizations that has really been on the front lines of that initiative has been an organization called Reclaim the Block. And we will link up to their donation page in the show notes. Just go to themaverickshow.com and go to the show notes for this episode. We'll link up how to donate to Reclaim the Block. You can also donate to the Grassroots Law Project, which combines the best of grassroots organizing with legal expertise to radically transform policing and justice in America. They push for bold policy changes to dismantle systems of injustice and replace them with policies, committees, and resources that support healing and community care. Using a combination of grassroots organizing and legal expertise, they aim to radically reform the American legal system to end abuses of authority used to unjustly injure, arrest, convict, and sentence. And finally, for the business owners and entrepreneurs that are listening, I just want to emphasize how important it is to come out with a public statement in support of Black Lives Matter. And if you don't feel that you have the language or you don't know exactly what to say, I'm going to link up my company statement from Maverick Investor Group in the show notes. And I want to invite you to go ahead and just use any and all of that language verbatim without attribution in your own statement. So just go ahead, take it, take the whole thing, copy it all or take part of it and you don't need to attribute it. You can just take it and use it if that is helpful to you in coming out with a company statement. And I also want to encourage all of the business owners to not only make a statement, but also to commit financial resources to supporting the movement for Black Lives in some capacity, okay? So, for example, you'll see in my statement that Maverick Investor Group is committing to donating 10% of our net revenue for all of the rest of 2020 to causes that help to end systemic racism and white supremacy and police violence against black people. So I would encourage all businesses to make a similar financial commitment in addition to stating your solidarity because we're all in this together. It's amazing to see the energy of everybody around the globe coming together, marching together, standing together. Another world is possible and we can create it together. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you buy cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber. To get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals, schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free. 
at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.